We're almost done studying the book of Philippians, and the Apostle Paul is thanking the Philippian church for sending a gift to meet his needs. In some ways, that may be the, the actual uh, impetus, the point of Paul writing the letter in the first place, the thing that caused him to go ahead and write. And he finally returns to it. He's spoken of it a couple of different times in the letter. But he returns to it here at the end as he thanks them. And they had sent a messenger named Epaphroditus with money to uh, help him out because Paul is in jail. So we've got to keep remembering what's going on. We've got to keep remembering the context that Paul is writing in. And uh, remember that Paul planted the Philippian church along with many other churches uh, in Corinth and Thessalonica and elsewhere. And so that's where we get a lot of the New Testament letters. They're letters from the Apostle Paul to these various churches in these cities that he had been and where he had planted churches. Now, last week, we studied contentment. And we saw that being content when you don't have very much, when you've just got a little, is hard, right? But maybe more importantly, we learned that being content when you have a lot isn't any easier. And so... It's right there that Paul reminds us that we can do all things through Christ's strength. Contentment is not at all something that is easy for us. It's something that requires that sort of super strong, bold, amazing statement that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's how hard it is to be content. On our own, we cannot do it. But through the strength of Christ, all things are possible, even being content with a little, or even with a lot. Which is, of course, what all of us in the United States have. A lot. And the fact that we don't think that we have a lot and that we need much more shows our lack of contentment, right? Now, this week, we, we sort of take another step deeper into contentment, if you will. We, we go from speaking about contentment to speaking about giving. Now, if it's, if it's hard to be content with what you have, it's even harder to give away what you have, Right? That's where we make it, where Paul speaks of the gift that the Philippian church has sent to him as an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word from Philippians 4, verses 9 through 19. 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Paul says to the Philippians that they have done well to share in his affliction. They have done well to share in his affliction. Now, the words with me are provided, supplied by the translators there. And so it, it shows you that when he says to share... There's, there's an element of uh, meaning that they have given to him. But there's also an element here when he says that they have done well to share with him in his affliction, that they themselves are taking on his affliction and sharing it by taking it for themselves. So there's two meanings here that you're really seeing coming out and that we have to, uh, we have to recognize both sides of that by sharing with him financially in his financial need. They actually enter into his affliction with him. It's not just that they have shared financially with him while he is afflicted but that by sharing with him financially, they actually enter into his affliction with him. Now, how does that happen? Well, it's pretty straightforward and obvious once you think about giving up your money, right? When when you think of taking money that you have and you, you 
you think, you know, I, I have a use for all of it, right? I, I can see that I need groceries and that I need to pay the rent, and, I, and oh, here it all is. I have need for all of it, and yet I see that the Apostle Paul, our beloved pastor who is here in the past, this church planter and apostle of Christ Jesus who's doing the will of God and proclaiming the gospel, is he has need as well. And so I'm going to share with him. So he's being afflicted and come under uh, financial burden because he's in jail. And he also uh, receives from the Philippians. And as they give up their money, they take some of the suffering from him onto themselves by giving to him some of their, can we say extra? Well, it might have been extra for some of them, but I guarantee you it wasn't extra for all of them, right? It is a sacrifice. That's how we can tell. It is a sacrifice. They have, they have shared in his burden because they have taken some of that burden onto themselves. Now, they had also shared with him in the past in a way that other churches had not, even helping meet his needs while he was ministering in other cities You think of the book of Thessalonians and you realize there was a church in Thessalonica eventually, right? And yet even while he was in Thessalonica, the Philippians were supporting him. He had left Macedonia where the the city of Philippi was. He wasn't even in the immediate vicinity, right? And they were still helping support his needs. This is a special relationship that the Apostle Paul has with the Philippians. And yet even they had not been able to share with him for quite some time. They had lacked opportunity, not desire. And so why does Paul bring that up? Well, because Paul is trying to ride a fine line here. He's trying to to, uh, thank them without making it seem as though he couldn't have survived without them and he's absolutely, you know, needs more. He's saying, you know you know what, I can live on a little, I can live on a lot, I didn't absolutely need this, God is meeting my needs, and yet it is good what you've done, that, that you have stepped in to help share in this burden. He wants... It to not seem as though he's greedy or that he is overly burdened in a way that will cause them to be upset and feel guilty that they hadn't sent money sooner, right? That's a, it's a very loving relationship. He, he he doesn't want them to, to be under any sort of, uh, false burden of guilt or of, of, you know, shame that they, that they hadn't done more sooner, or even shame that they hadn't done more right now. He, he wants it to be clear that he is 
that he is abundantly provided for and that he's very grateful to them and that they have, they have indeed done well by doing this. Now, many, many churches today do not have this sort of relationship with their pastor. I am delighted to say that we have such a relationship here. That you richly provide for my needs as the senior pastor here, and that I am well provided for, and that I don't have any fear of uh, speaking about issues related to money here in this congregation, because I know that when I exhort you to give faithfully to the Lord, that you already are, that you, that you desire, and you've demonstrated to me and to my family and to others in a, in a marvelous way, such a loving, caring relationship and desire to make sure that there is no suffering of need. That's a beautiful thing, and I am glad that I can testify to that right now, even among guests. It's, it's a sweet, sweet thing. And like I said, there are many churches where money and the pay of the pastor is a source of endless conflict, not to mention tension, and much... Uh, Jealousy and uh, recrimination and very little of peace and contentment and joy in the sharing. And instead, a, a, a nasty obligation being fulfilled. What a, what a sad thing to see that play out. And what a joy it is that we don't have that here. But what is, what is their concern? What is, what is Paul's concern? Is it really the relationship that he has with them that is central in his mind? There's many people who would read this or hear this kind of message very cynically and think, oh yeah, he's just trying to... Uh, you know, he's just trying to butter them up so they'll keep giving him money, right? I, I, <laughs> I can tell of numerous conversations that I have had and some that uh, Paul has had as well of people who think that to be a pastor is simply not just a job but a way of getting money from other people without doing much. And the more people, the, the faster you can build up the church to get people to give more money to get your salary up higher, the better. And that's the whole goal in, 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 the, in the event, right? And who are willing to look at you as a pastor and sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I really know what's going on here, right? They, they, there are many people, both in and out of churches, who view the world this way. And yet Paul is very clearly not concerned 
because he's content, right, as we saw last week. And he's learned this secret by the strength of God working in him of living with little and with a lot. So what is his concern? Sure, he wants them to learn contentment from him, as we read in verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. So what have they seen in him? They have seen a contentment and a willingness to live with a little and with a lot, with joy and rejoicing in times of suffering, even while he's in jail. Yes, this is one of the things that he is concerned about, that they learn contentment by watching him and hearing from him. But it's not, it's not pleasing to Paul that they've given him money because now he has more money. I mean, like he, yeah, in a sense, he, yeah, that's, that's good. I, I'm grateful for that. But the, but the big thing is, You've benefited by giving. Now again, think about how a cynical listening is going to translate that. Right? And this is, you know, if it helps you, this is not me speaking. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. This is God speaking in his word. So you, you know you can't, you can't hear this now with cynicism and be like, oh, sure, yeah, it's about the benefit of the giving, the the person who's giving. Right. Not unless you want to condemn the Apostle Paul and condemn God as lying in his word about what's going on when people give. It's not so much that Paul is in need and that he's thankful because he needs it so much, it's because it is such a good thing for them to do. Now, where else do we see this in the Bible? One place that you run into it is when Jesus is speaking. In Matthew 25, verse 40, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now what is it that they did? Can any of you remember the context of that verse well enough to give some examples of the things that Jesus is speaking of at that time? I'm going to actually wait for answers here. Go ahead. Call it out if you can think of the things. What's that? Yep, visited people in jail, in in prison. What else? Clothed the naked. What was that? Food. Yeah, feeding the hungry. What else? Water to the thirsty. There's, there's a theme here, if you, if you think about it. These are all very physical things, aren't they? They're, they're very much about meeting the physical needs of people. 
How do you meet the physical needs of people? It requires you to take physical action. It's going to require sacrifice of your means, of your money, and of your time and energy, right? That's the only way that you can meet physical needs. And so it's condemned to see somebody with their physical needs and to give them a blessing of a word. Go, be warm and well-fed, but not to do anything actually for them physically, right? To act that way is condemned by God. And so when Jesus says to those, to, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me, what you see is that by giving to Paul, the Philippian church is giving to God. The Philippian church is giving to God. We see it even in our passage when he speaks of it being an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And this begins to make sense of why he says it's something that's accruing to their benefit. It's, it's a benefit to them more than it's a benefit to Paul. That's what he seeks is their benefit more than his own. If you think of meeting the simple physical needs of those who are suffering with common needs related to our bodies, you see that financially supporting the work of ministry is all the more to be commended. It's all the more blessed. Now, this is a dangerous thing to say because, of course, the Pharisees had done this in uh, Corbin. You guys remember Jesus condemning the Pharisees because they had justified people not meeting the physical needs, not honoring their parents and providing for and meeting the needs of their parents by doing the all the more blessed thing of giving to ministry work. It's devoted to the Lord. All that I had that I would have given to you, father, mother, it's, it's Corbin. It's set apart to the Lord's work. It's, and so, uh, like I say, it's a little bit dangerous to say it's all the more blessed to give to the ministry of Paul in the gospel proclamation work that he's doing as an apostle. And yet it is true It is a higher work, isn't it? But the, but the way that you can, uh, the way that you can avoid danger here is to remember where our, where our first obligations lie and not to turn aside from meeting the basic physical needs with the money that God has provided to us. But to recognize that that is itself a spiritual act of worship, a service of worship to Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. Now, 
if we're going to make sense of this, we're going to have to make sure we know what it does not mean when Paul speaks of this being a sacrifice. Okay? What is it for it to be a sacrifice that's pleasing to God? And what is it not that Paul is saying here? The first thing that we have to say that it's not is this giving of money to Paul by the Philippian church is not an act that is going to save them, right? Now this we may feel like is so obvious that there's no reason why we should bother saying it. And yet it is a constant temptation for us to treat our money, to treat the, the, the physical provisions that God has given us as something that we can use to, uh, to justify ourselves. This was the basis of the, uh, the problem that Martin Luther was reacting against at the time of the Reformation in the Roman Catholic Church, that he was seeing the simple people in his church and in his surrounding community when being offered indulgences that they could pay for, they they saw a financial transaction that they could engage in that would result in not just a spiritual benefit, such as simony, the buying and selling of offices, okay, but far beyond that, even to the buying of somebody's soul and removing it out of purgatory or hell into a state of grace, into heaven, okay? Now that, we are, we are all able to fall into that error. Okay? Don't look back at the people at the time of the Reformation and look down your noses at them and be like, oh, I don't know what was wrong with them and why they thought that way. They must have been stupid. They were no different than you and I. They faced the exact same temptations. And the temptation is to say, you know what? Living a holy life is hard. Too hard. Isn't there an easier way out of this? I've got all of this I've got I've got all of this money I've been saving up. Could I just give that and make myself feel better? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. You could give all that you've saved up and make yourself feel much better, but you would not have accomplished anything. Sacrifice in this case where Paul is speaking of it does not mean payment for your sin. Elsewhere, we read, if the blood of rams and bulls cannot atone, cannot pay for sin, well, certainly then, we recognize, right, that money, the sacrifice of money cannot atone. It does require the shedding of blood for there to be atonement. For there to be forgiveness of sins, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. 
And so Jesus is the one and only sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. All who put their faith in him will be saved. But none who put their faith in what they've, been, in, in what they've given up will be saved. You see the difference? To put your faith in what you've given up, in the sacrifices that you have made, is to fall into this exact error. Now, right here we begin to see that, oh, there's a lot of other ways of making sacrifices to make ourselves feel good, right? It's not just the giving up of money. Some people give up their time, give up their energy, and so, you know, you'll see people going on short-term missions or medical missions, or you'll see people doing volunteer service, or you'll see people doing all sorts of sacrificial things that look very good, and they will do them for the sake of being able to feel that there's hope for them. And the way you know is because if you ask, are you a Christian? They say, yes, you know. Most people here in our area will still say, well, yes. You know, well, what does that mean? Well, it means, you know, I try to live the best that I can. Okay. Notice there's not a discussion of what Jesus has done, but what you have done. Okay. And, and you, press a, you press a step further and you say, well, you know, do you sin? Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Um, is there any way that you can make up for that? Well, at that point, many people will say, oh, no, uh, I, um, uh, I guess Jesus, right? The, the, you sort of tricked them into falling into a correct answer right there. But, but if you just ask them, they will focus on their own holiness and trying harder, trying better as the solution to the failures of the past. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to try harder next time. And so it is that we end up with these sort of self-punishing, self-sacrificing works that people have put their hope in rather than in the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So sacrifice, the sacrifice that the Philippian church has made here and the benefit that Paul is speaking of is not the benefit of salvation. But what else can we say regarding this sacrifice that they have given? Well, we can also say that it is not of any benefit to them if they are doing it instead of obeying. Right? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Better. To heed, to listen, to do what you've been told is better than to give the fat of rams. And where do we read of that? Well, we read of it at a time, of course, when a man, King Saul... Is using his dis, is using a sacrifice to justify the fact that he had not fully obeyed what God had told him to do. 
And so as rich people, we often think that we can give money as a way out of uncomfortable commands. This is, this is a very common thing. You, you see a need. You see that somebody has to do something. You know that what's required is love of a person. And you look at it and you think, that is going to be uncomfortable. I'm not really um, wanting to uh, go to that person that needs clothes that's naked and give them. I'll just, um, here, here's a, here's a shirt. Would you take it over to them? And so we, we pay somebody else to go do that work of clothing the naked, right? Because we don't want to face the discomfort of walking up to somebody who's naked. You say, well, surely nobody's naked these days, right? Well, you know who is? You know who is naked? Generally, it's crazy people. And it actually happens. And now, are they the least of these? They are the least of these, aren't they? Who is suffering more? To obey is better than sacrifice. This is an entry into Paul's suffering for the Philippians. Yes, giving money can be what is required to love others. Okay? The Philippians gave money, and that was them bearing his burden with him, right? So giving money can be what is required to love others. But the bigger sacrifice that the Philippians made was giving up Epaphroditus to take the gift to Paul, who they almost lost because he was sick even to the point of death, as we read earlier in the book. We must not use our sacrifices as ways to avoid the obedience that we have been called to. Now think about the church and think about what is uh, the, the opposite end of the spectrum of conflict that I described before where nobody, you know, nobody wants to give money and feels like the pastor is just trying to get something from them. The opposite end of the spectrum are the people who pay the pastor generously and well so that they don't have to engage in any work of service in the church. Well, we give money so that we don't have to do this. And you will hear people making that exact statement, right? And you'll see it inside and outside of the church, you know? Oh, I don't want to serve in the soup kitchen. We pay taxes so that I don't have to do that. Right? Oh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to work in the nursery. Can't we just hire somebody to do that? You, you see what happens is that we then on the, on the opposite side are using money, using our giving of money, a sacrifice that we make, and we can make it sound very much more holy than I just did, right? But, in order that we don't have to obey. But it doesn't work that way. 
What is this sacrifice? It is giving to God. It is a service of worship. And yes, it is trading treasure on earth for treasure in heaven. It is building up treasure in heaven that Paul is describing when he says that, you know, it's their benefit. But it's not just a building up of heaven. It is them learning contentment. It is them learning faith. And that's the next thing that we have to see, that this sacrifice that they make, it is an act of faith. Them sending Epaphroditus required faith. Them sending and giving up this money required faith on their part. Faith that God would provide a pastor for them, that either Epaphroditus would return, or failing that, that God would provide another man in his place. Faith that this money that they gave up, they would not turn around and need tomorrow and suffer starvation because of it, but that God would meet their needs. It is an act of faith that God is the one who has provided and will provide, as we see in verse 19. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Think about saying that in the context of people who've just given you money and you've just been thanking them for it, and then he turns around and says, God will provide. You know what he's saying there if you think about it, right? He's talking about the fact that they've given up money. Now, God will provide. God will provide. And last of all, what is this sacrifice? It is being intent on the mission of the Great Commission. The Philippians are giving money not just because they love Paul, but because they have the unity that he spoke of earlier in the book and that he urged them on to, that unity of purpose of establishing, building, spreading the kingdom of God by making sure that the word is proclaimed. And so Paul, they knew Paul did that work. And they wanted to make sure that he could keep doing that work, even though he was in jail. And so they seek to meet his financial needs so that he will not be distracted from the work that he has been called to. What does this mean for us? Well, there's no escaping the most obvious thing that anybody's going to see coming out of this, which is give your money sacrificially to the work of building Christ's church. Give your money sacrificially, and it will be to your benefit. It will accrue to you in heaven. God will teach you contentment and faith through it. And no, it will not save you, so don't put your hope in it. And we also learn not to give money instead of sacrificing. As rich people, that's something that we can do in America. We are able to give money instead of sacrificing. Give yourself. Give of yourself. That is 
the sacrifice that Paul is speaking of here. That is what we see from the Philippians. And seek not to, uh, not to increase my pay, not to, uh, not to worry about your financial needs, uh, but rather give yourself by faith to the work of establishing God's kingdom, building God's kingdom, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is what we see in the Great Commission. That's That proclamation work. That's what this church exists to do. It's why I give myself to this work. If I didn't believe in that, there would be a lot easier ways of making money. I didn't, I didn't become a pastor because I couldn't think of any other way to make money. There are a lot easier ways to make money, and a lot more of it. And so why am I doing it? It's not, it's not because I f- like feeling important either. It's because God's church, his kingdom, must be established on earth. And that is the command, the final command that he gave. Go. Preach. Teach them to obey. Baptize them. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. That's what we are doing. That's what you are doing as you sacrifice. And all of you have given so sacrificially, not just financially, but in so many ways that I have seen. And so I praise God and I call you to continue doing it by faith, believing that, yes, God is at work as you do this. Let's pray.